Welcome to episode 217 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our topic this week, we're going to discuss China's push to dominate artificial intelligence, the interplay of technology and politics, and the competitive stakes in the rising digital global order. So let's get started. Last week, the State Council of the People's Republic of China announced a development plan uh, which aims to build a domestic industry worth almost $150 billion and become the world leader in AI by 2030. Wow, what a throwdown. That's the, uh, the official term for it, which is you know when the state council puts this announcement on their website and releases it to the press, basically saying that uh, the rest of the world's on notice. We're going to dominate AI, which we see as you know the future of software uh, and and sort of embedded into every bit of our economy. I think it's time that we uh, sat up and and took notice because the Chinese government is pretty good at long term planning. If there's anything that's going to make you queasy, if you're a, a U.S. business interested in in AI, I think, you know, this qualifies. Uh, So the Chinese government has said that it's going to be heavily investing uh, to make sure that its companies, government and military all stay uh, ahead of the curve uh, when when it comes to AI. So there, there are some things going on in the United States right now that make this a very interesting conundrum for uh, United Statesians, right? For us, us Americans, who who love our technology and have done reasonably well uh, in terms of uh, leading in the past. So, in order to lead in the future, you really need to invest in scientific research. It's just sort of a fact of life. Uh, and unfortunately, we are in a scenario now where we're talking about massive cuts to uh, science research. So this seems to me to be sort of the opposite policy of what uh, the Chinese government is doing. So the Chinese government looks out, sees the future, says the future is AI and software, and says we are going to dump a bunch of money into that because that's going to be a, you know billions of dollars uh, flowing into our coffers. Uh, and unfortunately, I think we're sort of running in the opposite direction, uh, which, which is not good. Uh, for sort of the long-term uh, viability of the U.S. as you know a competitor in in AI, not saying that this is going to be a you know a crushing blow, but it's you know certainly certainly a big problem. So with with that preamble, Dirk, your your thoughts on this? There's plenty to dig into here, and and I'm sure we can uh, have a lot to discuss. Yeah, I mean, good for good for China to have the vision and foresight to make these these sort of investments at at a national level, um, at a policy level. Uh, it's I was interesting, you know, as as I was sort of researching this based on your links, John. Uh, you know, there, there was a discussion that it was sort of a Sputnik moment for the Chinese when the Google AI came in and beat the the, the Chinese world champion in Go. That there, it was it, it wasn't when when this. This AI was beating other Go players. Is when it beat their player, who was the, also the world champion, that sparked this huge wave of 
focus and investment into artificial intelligence. So the vision only goes so far because it took a very parochial schooling in the game of Go for them to, to make these policy changes. But listen, I mean, there there are advantages and disadvantages to both the way that the the, the, the Chinese run their country and the way we run our country and where China's at and where we're at. And, and the sad reality is from a, a, a government, a national perspective, we're not going to be able to respond to what China's doing. And that's for a number of reasons. I mean, one is the fact that China is not a democracy and we are a democracy. And so as the election of Donald Trump shows that there are people who are focused on on things that are not visionary or not innovative or not future looking. Um, they're focused on the past. They're focused on their own parochial self-interest, which, you know, to some degree is is understandable. But the fact is uh, the, the, the voting into power of people with backward looking agendas is going to slow us down and not just specifically in the persona of Donald Trump, but as long as our government doesn't have the ability to make these these huge investments over time, regardless of what the people think, um, and perhaps contrary to what the people think, we're not going to be able to adjust to that. Another issue is the relative maturity of our countries. You know, the United States traditional military is over an order of magnitude more powerful than the Chinese traditional military. And coming with that are huge industries, huge companies, lots of people who are trained and have jobs in different ways. And we are not able, part of this again is a democracy issue, um, but it, it goes even you know just beyond that to the, the, the makeup of our nation. We aren't able to just abandon those on a dime and say, look, you know, the, the future is not in Boeing and McDonnell Douglas. The future is in artificial intelligence and in different technologies that, you know, our current um, giant infrastructure in traditional technologies can adapt to. Maybe we have to just leave things behind and radically change. That's really hard for a mature I mean, China's obviously a mature nation as well. They've been around a lot longer than we have. But China for a long time was a third world power, frankly. I mean, very behind technologically. Um, so it's only more recently that their infrastructure and their focus on technology is taking flight. And so they, they're, they're much more, um, they're coming in from a much more greenfield perspective without, without a lot of the detritus that made us um, the most powerful in the past but increasingly becoming less powerful in the future. And the other thing I want to mention, I, there's actually more than three, but I want to pass the ball back to you as well. The other thing I want to mention that's hurting us or, or will hurt us in this future, it's called the future battle for AI supremacy with China is our openness. Uh, we are, look, I mean, within the government, you know, there are obviously shadow hidden things that are going on that are being shared with everyone. I got it. But from a business perspective, from where most of the investment and progress in AI that we're aware of has been perspective, we're only, you know, we're revealing what we're working on, how we're working on it, and what we've done uh, early days. Because a lot of it is driven by corporate interests who are incentivized from a profit motive perspective to get the word out there. Um, and then even at the government level for the things that aren't as as secretive or military, there's just a lot of information there. China is not bound by 
the same uh, the same ethos. And and China has a reputation in other aspects relative to national security, stretching beyond government into business as well to lock that stuff down. And we're only finding out things that are happening even on the business side of things in China once they're already ahead, once they've launched a new technology um, of some kind in, in a very in a very advanced state. You know, there was a story a few weeks ago about the quantum um, teleportation. Quantum teleportation might not be the right word, but using, you know, quantum technologies to take something and basically teleport it from the Earth out into space. Um, it's not that literal how we think about it in Star Trek. It's a little, once you hear the specifics of the technology, it's less, less interesting, but those are just sort of bombshells. They're like, oh my God, like China's there in quantum computing. Yeah, they're there because... They're doing it with a lot more money, with a lot more focus, with a lot more closed um, perspective. So we're only hearing about it when it's kind of too late to, to catch up. I, I just think China is really well suited to vault way past us in, in these technologies. Yeah, that's that's a, a potentially very disturbing trend, right? In in terms of you know where that positions you know the U.S. as a uh, technological superpower. So, so let's talk about that a little bit. There's this, you know, burgeoning digital order that you know we've we've covered in many different uh, flavors of that on the show. You have uh, sort of the uh, uh, the digital life as seen through the lens of of hacking and extra governmental activity, right? The militarization of of that kind of behavior. You you have uh, the digital life as um, framed by by business, sort of the, the largest, uh, latest and greatest uh, businesses uh, and, and innovations. And then, and then you have uh, the, the digital life as infrastructure. So, uh, you know, talking about the, uh, the, the open web obviously came out of the United States and this idea that there could be a splinter net, right, in, in quotes, the uh, uh, sort of uh, separation, uh, uh, separating the, the pieces of the Internet out so that they're uh, only serving a particular country's interest. So building your own uh, infrastructure because uh, the open Internet doesn't serve your, your needs. And I would actually put... Uh, some of this um, uh, AI advancement into the infrastructure category for for the future of software, uh, namely because it's going to underpin things like uh, military, you know, cyber military. Uh, it's going to underpin things like surveillance, sort of guiding the way that the digital life takes shape. So as we see world superpowers stake their claim to different aspects of the digital life going forward, I got to say that uh, the U.S. really needs to accelerate a bit because in, in, in some ways it, it feels like we're getting left behind. Um, and so, so let's do a little comparison to another major piece of, of economic infrastructure, you know, around manufacturing, right? So, uh, America was a manufacturing superpower in the you know 50s and and 60s, and we lost that edge you know to a number of countries, 
in part because we globalized our supply chains and American companies took advantage of that. Was capitalism so, at work, John? Profits. Sure. Profits, so, profits, profits. So, so the question that, that I want to raise is, is you know, this far-looking Chinese policy to develop AI, is, is AI really the manufacturing of, you know, the, the, the 2020s? We won't say it's the uh, sort of the underpinnings of the economy today, because we know it's it's just not. But in five years, uh, in ten years, uh, in 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 the twenty twenties, are are we setting ourselves up to be uh, sort of outpaced again by uh, the Chinese because they're so much more forward looking? I'm afraid that we are. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's a risk. And, and I mean, for from my perspective, for some of the reasons that I've, I've shared already, I think it's a real risk. Um, now, the, the flip side of it is, look, you know, we have still, and again, we being the United States, we're taking sort of a parochial look at this ourselves, but we still have the, the, the greatest collection of research universities in the world. Uh, if you're going to, to want to get into fields related to artificial intelligence, it's not going to start with universities in China. It's going to start with places like MIT or Caltech or Stanford. Um, so that's a huge advantage that the United States still has. Um, because the, the fact is, whether from China or from other places, a majority of, of the international students who come to those organizations continue working in the United States after they graduate, right? Big advantage for us. Second, you know, from, from the standpoint of business, we continue to have the, the greatest, uh, I mean, greatest, how do, you, how do you define that, right? The, from a market cap perspective, the most powerful and influential technology companies in the world, particularly as relate to the, the technologies that lead themselves into artificial intelligence. So, you know, the, the whole forecast isn't a gloom and doom one, certainly, because we have amazing infrastructure, even getting then to, to VCs and funding as well, like our funding infrastructure, uh, on the private side is tremendous, but we're just so vulnerable on the national side. The, the, the fraying of the United States as a declining superpower combined with the limitations of, of democracy and um, the, the openness, where, where in, in the standpoint of multinational competition, an open nation is really hobbled against a closed nation. And doubly so from a language perspective. I mean, that's something we don't think too much about. How many people in the United States um, are able to read and understand uh, Chinese, are able to read and understand Mandarin or, or Cantonese or, or, or whatever? Um, few, very, very, very few, a fraction of a percent, I'll say. Maybe more if we're considering people who themselves are, are Chinese immigrants or recently, uh, you know, first, second generation Americans, Chinese Americans. In China and in most of the world, English is taught and learned to a much larger degree. So, you know, China is a nation where um, they're trying, you know, they're, they're, again, more insulated, more internal, so less so than perhaps Europe. But many people in China are learning English as they're training. So you have one nation, China, that has um, a number of people in this field who, who can communicate in our language. We have very few people who can communicate in their language. And even though 
artificial intelligence and algorithms, a lot of that is the language of math as opposed to the language of, of language, um, which probably language of language probably doesn't make sense, but that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. um, I, you know, that's a disadvantage. And so there's all these built in structural disadvantages because of, of who we are, where we are in history and how this, this battle is going to play out. Um, my hope is, you know, we, we as a, a species evolve beyond, you know, these sort of multinational battles and competitions in a time frame where we'll look at all of this differently and not, not see it as a conflict with giant stakes, but it, it could be. Yeah, I, I think what, what bugs me just, just a little bit is seeing the game take shape, seeing this digital political order rise and worrying that we don't have our eye on the ball. So it's it's all fine and good to say that, um, you know, America had a level of greatness associated with the manufacturing base that was, you know, in existence in, in the 50s and 60s. And that's fine. I think looking forward to, uh, you know, a, a very different economy that's that's taking shape now, a very different different political order. And, you know, asking how can we, you know, use these technologies to benefit all, to benefit, you know, uh, the poor, the middle class, the wealthy, like, you know, uh, see that benefit across the board. That's fine, too. But to sort of look to the past as a model for the future, I don't think that you can do that. And, and I don't think that this this Chinese policy seems very forward looking uh, and and really building on uh, building on science, building on technology that, uh, you know, that's going to drive the economy forward. If we're looking to the past to try to find our examples for the future, we're just we're, we're just going to end up in a ditch again. And unfortunately, I, th I think that's where we're headed, um, you know, it's, into a ditch. It, it, if we don't pay attention to where the game is going and the game is going to AI and software and, you know, all sorts of innovation in science, uh, genomics. I mean, we, we, we can talk about that at length. Yeah. But if we don't pay attention to where uh, the technology is going and prepare people and our economy for that future rather than reminiscing about the good old days when, you know, uh, when 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 certain things were the way they were, you know, it's time for reminiscing is over. Let's look forward and let, let's get there. That's that's the part that worries me the most. Yeah, I mean, it's all abstract, though, right? The big question is what happens if we lose, right? So you could, you know, today, for example, I mean, you know, the United States could theoretically go in and in, in, in most, whether it be conventional military or other you know, even cyber war, AI, other, other modern technologies could clobber most other nations, right? But we're not clobbering nations. That's not the reality of it. We have the security so that others can't clobber us. We have the security of knowing we could clobber them if we wanted to, but it doesn't manifest as anything clobbering. I mean, the, the certainly people in the Middle East in, in, in war-torn places might disagree with that, but, but conveniently putting that on the side and closing our eyes and going, la, 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 la. Um, there's all of this power and this advantage, but it's not being used to crucify our, our first world opponents, let's say. So let's say China wins. Let's say 50 years from now, they're wicked ahead in this stuff. What then? I mean, do we think they're going to attack us? Do we think they're going to 
take over in the United States? Do we think they're going to, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> eradicate our people or, or drive us into abject poverty? I don't know. I mean, I don't think so. Right. So at some level, like, yeah, we might lose our dominance, but so what? Like what, what happens then? And I could certainly come up with some, some doomsday scenarios, but they don't seem too likely, do they, John? Probably not. I think suffice it to say that the AI race is on in, in a big way. And it will be interesting to see how uh, over over the, you know, uh, the coming months and, and the year ahead, how the uh, uh, how our government responds and, you know, what comes next, because uh, like it or not, you know, uh, AI is here to stay and it's underpinning the future of our software. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we are mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at goinvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 217 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>